welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. We are working our way this summer through the letter of 1 Peter. Slowly, bit by bit, when I find time in my basement to podcast. Tonight is actually a Friday night, <laughs> which maybe this is not the typical Friday night activity, recording a podcast. Uh, but I found myself with all of my kids are out of the house right now at friends' houses. Like, they're running around the neighborhood, all of them, but they're none, none of them are in my house. And um, I just found myself with some quiet time and thought I better take uh, advantage of it and come down here and record. The only thing is my dogs are down here with me, and so they are being noisy and chasing each other right now. <laughs> but here we are. We are in First Peter chapter 4. Tonight, we're going to take the whole chapter in one podcast, and and then we'll come back next week for First Peter chapter 5. And then uh, as August begins, I will be taking just a couple weeks off of podcasting as I do some planning and thinking through where I want to go. Also, we have a vacation in there. And and then when I come back, it'll be like mid-August, the second week of August. And we are going to look at sending our kids back to public school and preparing our kids, preparing our hearts, and preparing our children for heading back to public school. So we'll be starting that, and I don't know if that'll be like four weeks or so of podcasts that we'll be doing that, but um, heading back to public school will be a series that we do for maybe about a month. I'm sorry that you probably just heard my dogs wrestling. (laughs) I had the most wonderful experience two weeks ago now, almost two weeks ago, we, our, our church took our youth group down to Colorado for a national youth convention, and it was absolutely fantastic. I had the opportunity to go and chaperone. My two daughters were going, who are uh, 14 and 16 years old, and so I got to go with as a chaperone. It was an incredible experience. When I came back, I was quite sick, and so on this podcast, you might still be able to hear in my voice I've just been very stuffed up, tons of congestion, and uh, so hopefully I'm I'm better now that I can actually record the podcast, but I think you'll still be able to pick up in my voice that I haven't been well. But it was a wonderful, amazing experience of growing closer in Christ and uh, just uh, pursuing the gospel and being enveloped in the love of God and in God's creation. It was awesome. So... Anyway, I'm, I'm glad to be here back with you on the podcast. Remember, as we go through 1 Peter chapter 4 tonight, that the whole letter prior to this has been about suffering. Suffering is the key theme throughout Peter's letter. He is writing to believers in what is now northern Turkey, and uh, they are kind of on the edge of the Roman Empire But the persecution that is intensifying in Rome at the writing of this letter, which is probably around 63 or 64 AD, the persecution that is intensifying in Rome is spreading out throughout the Roman Empire, and Peter knows that it's going to come to the Christians that he's writing to who are in northern Turkey. Some of these Christians are actually fleeing from more of the central areas in the Roman Empire to go into hiding from the persecution. A lot of Christians did that in the first century, first and second century, uh, go in hiding into in these really unique earthen tunnels and bluffs that this region offers. And, and so some of these Christians might be living in hiding. 
And Peter is going to write to them again about suffering and about about pursuing Christ in the midst of their suffering, pursuing intimacy with Christ, walking with God in the middle of suffering is what he's going to write them about. He has written about this in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. All of those chapters include some other teaching as well, but suffering is the theme that carries through every single chapter of this letter. When he starts chapter 4, he's going to start with the word therefore. And of course, we have to wonder what the therefore is there for. It's going to talk about Therefore, since Christ suffered, and then he's going to give the reader an encouragement to suffer like Jesus. So we have to go back to think about, okay, what is what is this therefore pointing us back to? And it's pointing us back to chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so then he goes on to talk about how Jesus went and preached repentance to those who were dead. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. It comes up again. And then he goes into baptism and the gift of baptism that saves us. And then he gets to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, therefore, going back to chapter 3, verse 18, since Christ suffered in his body, And he goes on and he says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. The attitude is that of perseverance through suffering, endurance through suffering, becoming like Jesus in the suffering, persevering it through it because we know there's a greater purpose on the other side of the suffering. Just like Jesus suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So there's like a big purpose on the other side of the suffering. Just like Jesus did that, so ought to we suffer like him. And I love how Peter writes, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. So when he says arm yourselves with the same attitude, that literally is like a soldier putting on his armor. That's what that term means, that we are soldiers putting on our armor. And the armor that we are putting on, now of course we have the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, which I love. And actually when we get to the podcast series on going back to school and sending our kids back to public school, we are going to start by talking about the armor of God. Huge. I love it. It's very important to me. But here, the armor that we're putting on is actually the attitude of Christ. So the attitude that we are putting, or the ar- the armor that we are putting on is Christ's attitude. So this beckons us back to Philippians chapter 2, which interestingly was pl- probably being written really close to the same time. Paul would have written Philippians probably in 62 AD. And... Peter is writing this letter in about 63 or 64 AD, very similar timing. And when Paul is writing Philippians in chapter 2, he tells the people of Philippi, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ or the same attitude, be like-minded with Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain the suffering of Jesus. And he says, Who, being in the very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, But he made himself to nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that was the attitude of Jesus, is that though he was just like God, and not not even just like God, but he was God, he was God, he had the nature of God, he had equality with God, he didn't grasp onto that and hang on to that. Instead, he laid it down. In fact, it says he emptied himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the suffering of Jesus. And here we have the, we should have the same attitude. So this, we're back in first Peter chapter four now, have the same attitude, arm ourselves with that same attitude because Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now that is a very confusing verse, right? Because all of us at some level suffer in the body. What could it possibly mean that we are done with sin? Are any of us really done with sin? Well, the best that I have come up with as I have researched and read commentaries um, is that Through our suffering with Christ, as we gain intimacy with Christ through the suffering, as we gain that intimacy, sin is no longer appealing to us. We don't want to live in sinful ways. We want to, as we suffer, our desires for the sinful nature, our desires to fulfill fleshly uh, thoughts and um gratifications, those desires die away through our suffering. And through the suffering, our hearts and our souls gain such intimacy with the Lord Jesus that we then don't want to continue walking in the ways of sin. So whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Not that we don't accidentally fall into sin still, but we don't we don't want to have anything to do with it. Like our desire for it is gone. Our desire for it is dead. We are done wanting sin the more we get to know Jesus. And we know that suffering helps us grow in intimacy with Jesus when the Apostle Paul also back into Philippians when he was writing chapter 3 of Philippians He was talking about his desire to know Christ. And he said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. To be like him in his sufferings. To join him in his sufferings. So he he knew that there was an intimacy with Christ that could only be gained through suffering. Our gratification that comes through sin is weakened and falls away. Uh, as we come into intimacy with Jesus. All right, verse 2. Uh, so we're back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So as we come to know Jesus, as we suffer with Christ, our desires change, and we don't live the rest of our lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 13 says, By the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. So through the Holy Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. We no longer live for the earthly desires. We live for the will of God. And that becomes our desire. It's not done out of 
just like obedience for the sake of obedience. The reason we obey Jesus is, is because of love. Like our hearts are captured by his love as we fall more in love with him. We want to follow him. We want to obey him. And uh, sin is no longer appealing. That is the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every day of our lives on earth. All right, verse 3, Peter says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I love that. He's just like, you've done enough of this. You're over, it's over. You're done with it. Give it up. It's in the past. Let it go. And again, that list very, very is similar to many of the lists of sins that, that are throughout Paul's letters, Peter's letters. Uh, in in the book in the letters of John, that list is very similar in many many places, including in Galatians chapter five. We have the desires of the flesh compared with the fruits of the spirit, and that list is very similar to the desires of the flesh. In verse four, it's going on and it's talking more about uh, the people who you used to do all this stuff with in in the past, and it says they those people are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. So Peter is acknowledging here that it's hard to change, right? Uh, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The struggle with that verse and with that reality is that Jesus makes us new. We are new in Christ. But oftentimes, we don't let other people become new. We hold people into these expectations that we have on them. We put them in a box and say, well, this is who you are, and this is how you've always been, and this is how I knew you, and this is how I, this is the behavior I expect out of you. Even if Jesus has made them new, even as Christians we do this to each other, we tend to be so slow to accept the fact that Jesus makes people new. Jesus makes people new, and if Jesus sets people free, well then, by all means, we need to set each other free from our own expectations and reputations that we put over other people. And so Peter is saying here that these people might heap abuse on you, make fun of you, give you grief because you are not the way you used to be. They might persecute you because you have changed. But verse 5 says, But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. All right, so Romans 14.12 says each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We will answer to God for all the works that we have done on earth, good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now those of us who are in Christ will be judged with righteousness. We will be um, judged through the grace and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. We will still give account for our actions on earth and for the works that we do that receive reward, we will receive those rewards and it will be full of joy. But we just have to remember that God is the one who gives vengeance, not us. And when people are heaping abuse on us, if you find yourself in that situation, they will have to give account. And it's not to you that they have to give an account. It's to God that they have to give an account. They will give account. 
And so we can rest and we can just know that God has got it. God is in control. God's going to take care of the situation. And it might not ever be in our lifetime. We might not get to see the outcome of it, but that's okay. We can trust that there is a God who is going to make things right. He's going to make all things right. Verse 6 is a very tricky one. (laughs) Peter says, For this is the reason. I think the reason is going back to everybody's going to have to give an account. Everybody's going to have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason, because everyone has to give an account, this is the reason that the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. All right, very difficult verse. What does this mean? It is highly debated amongst theologians. I have read many, many commentaries on this verse. What does this mean? The thing about this verse is that to understand this verse It totally depends on how a person understands in chapter 3, which if you remember from the last podcast, if you haven't listened to it, you really do need to probably listen to these in order. So go ahead and listen to the 1 Peter chapter 3 podcast, which I think I just named Hard Stuff. So that's the name of the 1 Peter chapter 3. Very difficult chapter. But in in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses 19, 20, 21, Uh, Peter talks about after, well, here's uh, here's my interpretation of what Peter talks about. Peter says after Jesus was made alive, after he raised from the dead, Uh, Well, no, 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 I'm sorry. Not after he raised from the dead, but after his body was dead, but his spirit was alive. So in the time when Jesus... Jesus' body was in the tomb, but he had not resurrected physically yet. So basically like Friday night, Saturday. uh, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay, so that was verses 19 and 20 of 1 Peter chapter 3. So... There's a couple different interpretations of that, and I explained this all last week in that last podcast, so just very briefly, uh, the way that I understand it and some some of the commentaries that I fell more in line with had just read it really straight, like what it says is what it means, that between Jesus' death and his resurrection, his spirit was alive, and he went into Hades, and he preached the gospel to the people who had been washed over by the flood. So that small group of people, I mean, it was probably many thousands, but, you know, in the whole human history, just that that group of people who had ignored Noah's warnings during the building of the ark and then had been washed away by the floodwaters, that group of people, it seems that Jesus went and preached to them and gave them a second chance because he wiped them all off the face of the earth. And then for that group of people went back and gave a second chance and preached the gospel to them. Okay, so that is one of the that is one interpretation of these verses. It is the plainest one, like just taking the scripture exactly as it says. 
And a lot of theologians are going to say, no, that is not possible. There are not second chances. What this really means is the spirit of Jesus was speaking through Noah in the days when Noah built the ark. It was the spirit of the God, the son, speaking through Noah, preaching the gospel. Uh, That's what that verse is talking about. I just read it as very plain, like in between death and resurrection, Jesus descended into hell, preached the gospel, gave people a second chance, and then was raised from the dead. And then with that understanding, so now we're going to go back to 1 Peter 4 verse 6. With that understanding, it's saying this is the reason that the gospel was preached to those who are dead. Now in the NIV and in many translations, it says the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. That now is not in the original Greek. The original Greek of this verse says, For this end, the gospel was preached to the dead also. And the reason that makes a difference is because we have to wonder, were they dead when the gospel was preached to them? Or is it saying that they were alive when the gospel was preached to them, but now they're dead? So the way the NIV has it worded, that the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, makes it sound like the gospels preached to them when they were alive, but now they're dead. But the way the original Greek was written, for this end, the gospel was preached to the dead also. The way the original wording is makes it very clear that they were dead when the preaching occurred, which matches the interpretation that I have, that many of the theologians I had, um, that I read, also had that um, Jesus preached to those who were in Hades or hell in between his death and his resurrection. So anyway, feel free to disagree with that. But you know what? Dig in. Read what commentaries and what theologians are saying on that verse. It's fascinating. Moving on, it's saying that the gospel was preached to them so that They might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but they might live according to God in regards to the spirit. Okay, this is the case with all of us. Our bodies are dead because of sin. So it says that we are being judged according to human standards in regards to the body. The body is dead because of sin, but, but... The spirit is life because of righteousness. That is Romans 8, 10. So my spirit is, is being judged according to righteousness. My spirit is alive. My spirit is, is getting more alive every single day. The more I become like Jesus, the more I put on the attitude of Jesus and become like him, my spirit is being renewed and not just renewed each day, but actually getting younger each day, more like Jesus, more alive each day, even though my body is getting older each day. So my body is being judged according to human standards, but my spirit is being judged according to, according to righteousness. All right, in verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. So he's going to give us several things to do here because the end is near. And I think I've said this before 
um, probably in Romans chapter 8, podcasting. When the biblical writers, the New Testament writers particularly, when they were predicting the return of Christ, and when they were predicting it soon, it's easy for us to think, well, they were so wrong because Jesus still hasn't come back. They wrote these words 2,000 years ago. Jesus still isn't back. They were so wrong. I want us to flip our minds on that, and I want us to think they were so right because the way in which we are supposed to live, the way that Jesus told us to live, is to wait for him expectantly. Uh, I've told you before, again, with the Romans chapter 8 podcasting, that there is a word that is not used here, but there's, there's a word that means to wait patiently and expectantly at the same time. Waiting patiently, expectantly at the same time. The word is apikdekomai in the Greek. It is used seven times in the New Testament. And every single time it's used in the New Testament, it is only in reference to the return of Christ. So the single thing in the Bible that we are told to wait for expectantly and patiently is the return of Christ. Expect it today and be patient for it in case it's not today. The only thing that we're supposed to be waiting for expectantly and patiently is the return of Christ. So when Peter says the end of all things is near, we should not think, oh, he was so wrong. Instead, let us think, oh, he is so right. And how will it change the way we live if we live like Peter, who expected the return of Christ any day? Even Jesus himself said, Behold, I am coming soon. He wants us to wait for him as if he's coming today because, in fact, he might be. I'm reading a commentary on First Peter by David Pawson, who I really appreciate his work. And he has this wonderful sentence about about waiting for Jesus and how good it is that we don't know the exact time of its coming. He says that God has not told us when he's going to come. Thank God he hasn't, because if God had given us the date and it wasn't within our lifetime, we wouldn't worry. And if it was within our lifetime, we would panic. (laughs) We need to be in action. We need to be an action people. But we shouldn't be worried about it. We shouldn't be panicked about it, but we also shouldn't be lazy about it. And so it was so wise of God to not tell us the exact time of the return of Christ. But here Peter says the end of all things is near. So first he's going to start with our mind. Therefore, let's get our minds right. Start with your mind. Jesus is coming back. Say it out loud to yourself. Jesus is coming back. So we start with our minds. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Be alert. Let your mind be clear. You let your judgment be clear. Let your thoughts be in control. Be in control of your mind. Be alert like you're watching. You're not being lazy. You're not just twiddling your thumbs. You know the return of Christ is happening. You know that we have a job to do while we are here waiting for it. So you are alert. You are on your toes. But you're not rushing around like a crazy person. You are sober-minded, steady thinking, in control of your thoughts, in control of your actions, 
and you are praying you are praying for one thing we are praying that that the lord would come come lord jesus come lord jesus we are taught to pray that throughout the book of revelation come lord jesus we should be praying that but also praying for those who don't know him yet praying that god would use us praying that god would draw people to himself praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our communities, our schools, our churches, our neighborhoods, praying over our, our the people around us, praying that people would come to know Christ. So get your minds right and pray. Okay, okay. So those, those are the first things we're going to do. The end of all things is near. So we're going to get our minds right and we're going to pray. And then we're going to love, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins i love this verse we are going to get our minds right we're going to be clear thinkers we are going to pray we are going to love above everything else love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, of course, we are called to love everybody. But church, listen up. If you are a person who calls yourself part of the body of Christ, Peter is writing specifically to the body of Christ here. And he says, love each other. We have a job to do, church, because as the world outside the church sees the church separated and sees the church bickering and putting each other down and throwing stones at one another, that is not going to draw people to Jesus. That is not going to draw people to Jesus if they see people within the church being mean to people within the church. So instead, Peter is saying, hey, church, love each other deeply. Love each other, church. Of course, church, we need to love everybody outside of the church as well. We need to love them beautifully, and we need to pray that our love would draw them nearer to the love of Jesus and draw them into the church. But before we can really do that well, they need to see from the outside that we're loving each other well. Love each other deeply. Because you're sinning against each other constantly because you are humans trying to figure out how to live together. You're sinners trying to live with sinners. So love each other deeply because that love will cover over a multitude of sins. It will cover over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply, church. And as you love each other deeply, then also you can turn towards the outside and love people who are outside the church and let your love draw them in. But you need to love each other. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality. Let, let your home be a place where people can come, where you can share laughter and joy and where you can invite people to your table and don't grumble about it just be hospitable share i love this thing that david Pawson says about this he says in the last days of human history the christian home is going to be one of the vital factors in saving people 
Churches may well be closed as we draw near to the end of all things, but the Christian home becomes a little haven where people can come. I just love that. The Christian home is going to be one of the vital factors in saving people. Beautiful. Be hospitable. Invite people into your home. Let your home be a place where people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Look, the Bible assures us that every single person who knows the Lord Jesus, who has confessed faith in him, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we know, gives gifts of the Spirit to every single person. The Holy Spirit is always going to come with gifts. Like that, that is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit expresses himself through believers in a variety of ways, preaching, hospitality, joy, service, teaching, prophecy, tongues. There are so many. That's just a small list of ways that the Holy Spirit expresses himself through the believer for the good of of the body of Christ. Really, for the good of the world, the Holy Spirit works through human beings that he indwells for the good of the whole world. So Peter is saying, use whatever gift you've received. Like the Holy Spirit's in you and he gave you gifts. It's what he does. (laughs) He has gifted you. Whatever that gift is, use it for the good of the body of Christ and of the greater world. Use those gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, take a spiritual gifts test. You can just go online and you can Google spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, spiritual gift test. Google it and you can just take a test and it will help you to identify what are, what are my giftings? What, what ways has the Holy Spirit equipped me to be working in the world And we got to use our gifts. We have to. We are called to biblically. In verse 11, he specifically is going to talk about two gifts in the church, primarily preaching and and the work of deacons, which is serving. So if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Okay, I love this one because I myself am called as a Bible teacher. And I love... Uh, this is uh, from Matthew Poole commentary on this one. He says that he should preach nothing but the pure words of God and do not obtrude upon the hearers the fancies, figments, or traditions of men. I just love that. My job is to preach nothing but the pure word of God. And I shouldn't waste your time listening to anything fanciful or a figment of my imagination or the traditions of human beings just teach the pure word of God I pray I pray that that can be true of me speak the very words of God if anyone serves serving in the church they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, we're going to go on and finish chapter four here. He just has some, it's kind of like he's closing down his letter 
in a kind of a long-winded way because we still have chapter five. But he goes on in verse 12 and he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Okay, the fiery ordeal that's coming upon you. Peter is in Rome. He's in the epicenter of where this Christian persecution in about 63, 64 AD, where Nero is just like amping up the persecution. And Peter's in the midst of it. And Peter knows it is coming for you. My dear friends in northern Turkey, it is coming for you. It's not there yet in its fullness, but it's coming. And when it comes, don't be surprised. This is what's going to happen. This is so pertinent to us here in the United States because we act surprised when anything happens to our religious freedoms. We should not. (laughs) Religious freedom is not a guarantee. In fact, biblically, religious freedom is something that is absolutely not going to be sustained. We do not get to keep our religious freedom. Persecution will intensify on planet Earth until the return of Christ. So whatever freedoms we are hanging on to, we need to know they will be taken away. And we can't think something strange is happening to us. Christians around the world are being persecuted at a higher rate now than ever before. And so how shameful of us to think that something wrong or strange is going to happen or is happening when the day comes that our rights as Christians are taken away. That, that is going to happen before the return of Christ. And rather than being shocked and dismayed that it's happening, perhaps there's an opportunity for rejoicing in it because it means, in fact, that the end is getting nearer. Let us rejoice in the fact that Jesus is going to come. Let us rejoice that Jesus is going to come. And in verse 13, he's going to tell us to rejoice because we get to relate and participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice when you suffer for Jesus. Rejoice because when he is revealed, you will be overjoyed. And the suffering that we go through on planet Earth will increase the joy we have when we see the face of Jesus. So in that... In that, there is room to rejoice in our sufferings. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 15, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Okay, he's letting them know, look, I'm talking about rejoicing in your suffering and finding honor in your suffering. But if you are suffering as a criminal, because you are in fact a criminal, there is no honor in that. But if you are suffering for Jesus, that is where the honor lies. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's verse 14. All right, verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, 
Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Okay, he's going back to this thing about judgment. We're going to give an account for the things that we do. And it needs to be on our hearts that those who do not currently obey Christ are also going to give an account. Let us love them into the body of Christ. Let us love them into relationship with Christ because we ought to be concerned about the outcome of, for their lives, the outcome of their souls. Let us be concerned for their souls and love them into the body of Christ. The only way we are ever going to draw people to the heart of Jesus is to show them the heart of Jesus. We cannot argue people into a relationship with Jesus. We cannot provoke people into a relationship with Jesus. We can love people into a relationship with Jesus. Peter goes on here and he's going to quote from Proverbs eleven thirty one, And he says, If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become the what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? All right, I just want to remind you that yes, this was in Proverbs it said if it's hard for the righteous to be saved. Look here. We also know that there's no such thing as a righteous person apart from Christ. And in Christ it is not hard for us to be saved. I mean, Jesus himself said that it is it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. But then he said, with man this is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. So, yes, he said it's hard for us to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, we are wealthy in this nation in this community we are wealthy it's hard for us to enter the kingdom of god here it says it's hard for a righteous person to be saved i'm not righteous no one is righteous the bible says it's hard for us to be saved on our own but jesus said with god all things are possible through christ it is not hard to be saved it is just through faith in the lord jesus christ anyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved Salvation is available freely for every single one of us. Every single one of us. And our heart needs to be yearning for those who don't know. Because in fact, the end is near. The end is near. So let our hearts burn and yearn to bring people into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they might be thinking, I can't be saved. It's too hard. It's too hard for me to be saved. And we can just give them the good news that it's not. Because with God, all things are possible. Jesus made it possible. You can be saved just by leaning on the name of Jesus. All right, in verse 13, Peter says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will, and in this context he means suffering for the sake of Christ, God allows suffering for the sake of Christ. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In the midst of suffering, commit yourself 
to your faithful creator. Isn't that wonderful? In the midst of suffering. So for most of us who are listening to this podcast, our suffering is not suffering of Christian persecution. But that doesn't mean we're not suffering. We suffer in many, many ways. This letter is certainly written to those who are suffering because of Christian persecution. And I think that this letter is so important for us to study, first of all, simply because it's in the Bible, and we should study the whole Bible, but also because Christian persecution will come to us. So we need to know this letter in and out. But for now, most of us are suffering in many, many ways that are not because of our faith in Christ. But we are suffering nonetheless. And God is allowing many sorts of suffering that right now are not Christian persecution, but suffering that is coming to us in many ways. And in the midst of suffering, verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us that in the middle of our suffering, commit ourselves to our faithful creator. Commit yourself to your faithful creator. Cling on to God. Hold on to God. He is faithful. He is faithful. In 1 Timothy, it says, even if we lose faith, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful. It is the core of who he is. He's faithful. And he can't be anything else. He can't be otherwise. He is faithful. Commit yourselves to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Don't give up. Don't give up. The fight is hard. The fight is hard. Don't give up. Continue. Commit yourself to God. Hold on to Jesus. And keep putting one foot in front of the other. Amen and amen. All right, I will be back next week for 1 Peter chapter 5 as we wrap up this beautiful letter. And then as just as a reminder, I will be off, off of podcasting for a couple weeks after that. And then I will come back in mid-August and we will talk about sending our kids back to public school and how to get them and us ready for that transition again. I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you for joining me. Bye. Bye.